Welcome back to another episode of Built to Win. I'm your host, Dan Reynolds. Today, we're sitting down with the Vice President for Communications at the Foundation for Government Accountability, Nick Staley. Nick, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dan. Of course. So today, we're going to be discussing the launch of the brand new FGA Center for Excellence in Polling. We haven't discussed polling much on the podcast yet, but today that changes. Nick, just to give our listeners a broad overview and to kick off this discussion, why did FGA begin conducting polls and how have they been useful? Well, you know, during our early days, Dan, we had this small research shop and the organization was doing some limited polling at the time, just trying to determine whether or not the things that we wanted to work on were viable and then how to talk about them. Because one of the things that sort of differentiates us is that we want to make sure that we truly partner with policymakers. And we just wanted to make sure that we were giving them reforms that were viable, that they were popular, but also we wanted to make sure that they knew how to talk about them. And so over the years, we've spent a lot of time and resources making sure that we're properly training our own staff, but also helping prepare policymakers to win. And as the scope of our work continued to widen, we realized we needed to do more market research and uh, truly empower those partners in the states. So today, as you know, we have more than 40 full-time employees plus our contractors who together make up this truly world-class team. And they have achieved a whole lot in the states and in Washington. Our polling and research, they've been used by state legislators, by members of Congress, secretaries of state, and even the White House. So one thing that we noticed is that our success, you know, we, we saw that it was really being fueled by this passion for excellence in everything that we do, but also in that powerful market research that has continued to be at the heart of everything we focus on. And so the Center for Excellence in Polling was formed as a project of FGA, not just to expand our influence, but truly to help us partner better with policymakers and help them understand this complex market of ideas that exists out there. Yeah, I really appreciate that, Nick. Um, One way I've looked at our polling is it gives us a great tool to understand what's going on around us currently, but then also allows us to chart a path forward. So just kind of on that topic, before we get into uh, some of the specific polls that we want to cover for our listeners today, which are really exciting and actually pretty impactful. Um, Can you talk to our listeners about the types of products, the different types of polls and different types of endeavors that the Center for Excellence in Polling has conducted and will be conducting? Sure. Yeah. So we have three basic, I would say, products that we focus on. The first one is support polling, where we ask people really basic questions about policy, about their opinion on things that are happening in the country and in the world. And we figure out what the levels of support and opposition are, where people stand on things. Another kind of polling that we do where, again, we're talking about large samples, quantitative data, is that we do message tests. So we figure out what the most powerful messages are to move voters on these free market reforms so that as policymakers are preparing, they're truly preparing themselves and we are helping to prepare them to win using those best messages. And then the third type, is focus groups. And so this is something that we've done in the past, we've spent um, a lot of time on, but we've, we've really sort of amplified what we're doing there over the last year or so. We've been doing them both for national audiences as well in the States, we've been doing some targeted, and really that kind of qualitative data 
there's no substitute for it because of the stories that people tell and sort of being able to dig in and learn what's really keeping people up at night, what worries them for themselves and for their children, for the future of their families and the future of the country. So those are the sorts of tools that we use in terms of market research to help prepare ourselves and also to help prepare policymakers. Yeah, thank you for walking our listeners through that. I did say we're going to get into a few specific polls. Uh, The first one I want to cover is on the West Virginia, or rather is on the federal filibuster, but it is polling West Virginia likely voters. Nick, can you walk our listeners through that? What was the poll? And then really importantly, can you give the political significance for the poll as well? Sure, absolutely. So back in April, uh, we decided to do this poll of West Virginia voters and see where they stand. And we've done this before in West Virginia, so we had a little bit of history and we can see that the numbers are, are remaining steady. Basically, what we did is we asked voters whether or not they support or oppose the Senate filibuster. And what we found is that by a significant margin, West Virginia voters do support it, uh, 52-32. So you have um, not just the plurality, but you also have the majority of West Virginia voters. And then we also asked them specifically, like, okay, let's talk about whether or not the filibuster should be ended so that President Biden can pass more of his agenda into law. Again, only 38% support it. So the number came up a little bit when you tell people, oh, this is to help President Biden. You start to get a little bit more of the Democrat base, but you still don't get above that and you don't even get the whole Democratic base. And then finally, and I think this is one of the most powerful, one of the most important ones, we asked if West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin voted to get rid of that filibuster, would you be more or less likely to vote to reelect him? And the numbers are pretty shocking, actually. <laughs> um, only 30% said more likely, 56% said they would be less likely to reelect Senator Manchin. So that was a sort of a, I think, a bit of an earthquake in terms of just seeing how poisonous this issue is to him. Yeah, and super impactful, um, at least in determining what his future decisions will be on that that topic. Uh, moving along here, another one that we wanted to cover, Nick, is on inflation. So the consumer price index has gone up, I think, more than 5%. And I guess we were left wondering, what does that mean for the average American? And what's the path forward, to use some of our language earlier? Can you walk our, our listeners through that message test? And, and what results it yielded. Sure. Yeah. So one of the important things to know about this is that before we went out into the field and started doing message testing, we also did some focus groups and we really wanted to know, you know, whether or not this is going to come up organically. And by the way, it does. This is the sort of thing that everybody, nearly everyone feels. You know, most people do feel it when get when the price of gasoline doubles. They feel it when diesel prices go up and it drives up the cost of everything from canned beans to bread. I mean, it doesn't matter. Everything is going to go up. And so we noticed this. We noticed this was an issue. And we also saw that in some of these groups, we actually did one with suburban women. And they, in particular, they were quite concerned about it. So knowing that, we we knew that it was already a significant issue. But the polling results are still a little bit astounding. 87% of voters told us that they were somewhat or very concerned about inflation. Wow. So, and by the way, nearly 60% said they were very concerned. And so that's a pretty significant part of the country, a part of the voters who feel that way. 
by the way, 83% of Democrats are concerned in, in one way or, the, uh, or another. So, yeah. um, and probably most important for policymakers out there, nearly 70% of ind- independents were very concerned about inflation. So super important. It is. It is. And so it's no surprise then we did ask a question about President Biden's uh, infrastructure plan and whether or not it will cause more inflation. And uh, by a 52 to 33% margin, they said that it would. So yeah, this tells us there's definitely going to be a continued heartburn over any kind of massive big spending plan or any kind of massive expansion of government during the rest of the Biden administration. Yeah, I completely agree. The First Amendment is hugely important in America. We have a culture of free speech and of free expression. But what's been growing in America also is cancel culture, people being canceled for their ideas, for what they say. Similarly to our inflation message test, we decided, hey, what do Americans think about this? What's going on? So we ran a cancel culture poll that I think our listeners are going to find very interesting. Uh, Nick, can you walk our listeners through that one? Sure. Yeah. So this is another one that we sort of learned quite a bit about from qualitative data. Uh, When we started looking and doing focus groups on this, we actually did uh, one with Hispanic voters in the state of Florida. And what we found is that they all sort of understood the problem, but most people didn't know. We we did two separate groups and one of them, no one actually knew what cancel culture was. Mm. And when you start describing different things that are happening, people get very upset about it. They don't like it. They just didn't necessarily know what it was. Other groups did. And what we found over time as we've done these focus groups is that there have been fewer and fewer people who haven't known what it is, which tells us that the idea is being socialized. Uh, That said, we did want to find out um, how we talk about it. And so not to bury the lead, but uh, we'll get to that in a second. We did figure (laughs) out how to talk about uh, cancel culture. But first things first, when we did the poll, Nearly 80% of voters are very or somewhat concerned about it. They know it's a problem. Even 71% of Democrats are very or somewhat concerned about cancel culture. So I think that there has been this for a long time now. I think Democrats have been like, well, the train's coming, but the people tied to the tracks right now are just Republicans. And I think they're realizing, oh, wait, no, that that could come for us as well. And we have seen that as we did that, that message testing and we wanted to see what it was that moved voters We did see some examples where, for instance, the New York Times editor um, who was fired for publishing the Tom Cotton op-ed, you know, that's a, the fact that that happened is, I think, pretty terrifying to a lot of Democrats because he published, this is not a conservative guy, right? And he, all he did was publish an op-ed in a major newspaper, a newspaper of record from a sitting United States senator. And if you look at the history of what op-ed stands for, it means opposite the editorial. So even from that standpoint, you'd think the whole point is to bring in different viewpoints and different ideas, but not in the cancel culture age, right? That's right. That's right. So that's that's one of those, it's one of those examples. Now we did see Democrats do kind of catch more of the blame for this. 51% said Democrats engage in cancel culture more often. 32% said that Republicans are guilty more often. That said, you can see it's a pretty significant margin. We also found that people want those in pop culture to stand up for free speech and to stand up against cancel culture. And so we, we asked about J.K. Rowling's campaign against cancel culture and Republicans, Democrats, independents, everybody agreed, yes, more pop culture icons should join that campaign. So here's the big reveal. What we found that actually is the best way to talk about cancel culture was this really simple realization. 
And it was that cancel culture is just sort of this fancy, you know, maybe I don't want to say beltway, but um, definitely more politically savvy. East Coast elite kind of thing, whatever term you want to use. Yeah, That's right. (laughs) That's the way people who are more engaged in politics talk about it. But ultimately, most people know what it is. It's bullying. Yeah. Really simple. It's just a form of bullying. Um, It's a form of bullying that is being used to drive a wedge between Democrats and Republicans. And it's also keeping us and keeping our children from learning to engage in healthy debate. And that's something that I know I think a lot as a dad. I've got four kids. And I think I don't want my kids to have to, you know, not be able to stand up for what they believe in. And I want them to be able to learn how to engage in a healthy debate without being rude or hateful or anything like that. So I think most Americans are sort of in that same place where they might not like a form of speech. They might not like what you have to say, but they think you ought to be able to say it. So I've seen that. And, you know, some of the things that voters are are worked up about right now, things like removing Washington and Lincoln and Jefferson's names from schools, just insane things like that. Yeah. The co-founder of Vox, you know, was pushed out because he supports police funding. Yeah. I don't know. I could be wrong. I don't think that uh, that's a message that's going to end well for the far left, that whole defund the police thing. And then also, and this is the one of the things that we noticed when we were doing some of these focus groups is how people talked about it first. They didn't talk about getting fired from jobs and stuff like that, because a lot of people think that that's pretty distant for them, that mm. that's just something that happens to people with bigger jobs that pay more money or something. Sure. Some of them are now learning that that's not the case. Um, (laughs) But that said, the way people think of it at first is that they're afraid to talk about politics and religion, even with their family and friends. Mm. And we found that, we heard that in focus groups and we've seen that in polling as well, uh, that that's something that gives voters a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Thank you for walking us through that. That was a hugely important poll. I loved seeing the results come back on that very information filled and super important for all of the politically interested and policymakers who listen to Built to Win. The last thing I want to cover, the last poll here, is our first quarterly tracking poll, which we will be releasing more of. Uh, It's going to be a hallmark of the Center for Excellence in Polling, these quarter tracking polls. So, Nick, can you walk our listeners you know, what those quarter tracking polls are in the the overall broad sense for the mission of the center, and then walk our listeners through the most recent tracking poll that we recently published on June 10th. Sure. Yeah. So our vision for the tracking poll is that we have this set of metrics that we can use to, to track attitudes over time, and we can see how voters are maybe changing their attitudes and opinions, but also seeing how they are coming to find that there are th- new things that they w- are worried more about, other things that they now think are, are less of a concern. So we asked questions on a variety of topics. It's going to sound um, a little bit all over the place here, but I did want to hit on a few of those highlights. Um, the first one, because we've already talked a little bit about inflation and the concern that that is, is that just that Americans were, are seeing that the cost of things are going up, but they're not benefiting from the rising wages. So 71% in our tracking poll, said that their financial situation has either not improved or has actually worsened since this time last year. Yeah, And that's despite, you know, wages going up, unemployment dropping pretty sharply, um, at least in red states. So we've seen, <laughs> we've seen that. And then something else that sort of uh, tied in uh, to all of this, the whole shutdowns and some of the effects of them, um, the whole school closures thing. School closures are deeply unpopular. And 
we found that only 10% of Americans think schools ought to be shut down at this point. We asked those who said they've been closed too long. We said, okay, who do you blame? 75% said the Democrats. Yeah. 75%. And by the way, 54% of Democrat voters blame Democrats. So a majority of Democrats blame themselves. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Another one, I think, I don't know, you can tell me, uh, listeners might uh, care about the whole atti- all the attitudes on four-year colleges. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that we asked is we wanted to find out truly whether or not Americans see that four-year degree as the only path to the middle class, because for so many years, that's how people have seen it. Nearly seven in 10 voters think trade school or on-the-job training holds the most value for young adults. Yeah. Which is huge. It's a huge yeah. number. Yeah. It's a, it's a shocking indictment of of higher ed in this yeah, country. The, and the scare quotes around traditional higher ed, right? That's that terminology that's right. there to say that that's the, the path that one should take. Yes. Traditional taxpayer funded in, in many cases. <laughs> hey, higher I, ed. My higher ed was not taxpayer funded. I'll tell you that much. Happy to, happy <laughs> to say that. Yeah. So uh, the other thing we found, uh, we wanted to look in a little bit because, you know, we concentrate um, a whole lot on uh, welfare and it's one of our core areas. So we asked people whether or not and, you know, how much abuse they see in our nation's welfare programs. Only 12% said there's very little or no fraud. So whenever you hear people on the left say, oh, this is not a legitimate problem. You guys are are just looking for one. No, look, 12% of voters agree with that statement. Yeah. The rest of them, they look at that and they say, no, we've definitely got some fraud and abuse in our nation's welfare programs and we need to, we need to make some reforms. Yeah. Then we also asked a couple more things. We asked about joblessness and that persistent joblessness that we've seen in this country, um, especially in post-lockdown blue states. And so what we found is that people blame government, Shock, you know, not perhaps not shockingly, uh, people blame government for that. And so the whole, the, the messaging from the left on low wages being the cause of long-term unemployment, it's just, it's silly and everyone knows it. Yeah. 22% think low wages are to blame. 22%. Yeah. I mean, that's that's something that uh, we need to go door to door handing out pamphlets or something to people in the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C., because everyone is just saying, no, no, it's the low wages, the low wages. But in America, the average American does not think that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 41% of people think that's the unemployment bonus. Yeah. Um, people just in general, um, if you if you add them all up, people think that the issue is government. And then finally, uh, one thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap up is on elections. And this is another thing that we looked at in our tracking poll. It's something that we work on. Um, Nearly one-fifth of voters have no trust in our elections. And lest anyone think that this is just a problem on the right, only 55% of Democrats say they completely trust the process. So what that tells us is if voters' faith in our system of voting, if that's going to be restored, we do need some reforms. Yeah. Uh, they do need to happen. And that's not just a problem on the right. It's also a problem on the center and on the left. That does bring us near the end of our segment today. Be sure if you're interested in checking out all of those polls that we discussed in the show today, scroll down into the show notes. All of them are going to be linked there, as well as a link to the Excellence in Polling website, where we will be posting all of our future polls and many polls that we did not get a chance to discuss on the podcast today. Nick, Thank you so much for sitting down on the Built to Win podcast. It's been a great conversation and I really appreciated it. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for having me. And if you're interested in having your ideas featured on Built to Win, don't hesitate to email me at dreynolds at thefga.org. Please rate and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get 
your podcasts. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Built to Win, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the Foundation for Government Accountability, a nonprofit organization helping millions achieve the American dream. To learn more about our work or our experts, visit www.thefga.org and tell us what you think on Twitter at Built to Win Podcast. Views and opinions expressed by guests on Built to Win do not necessarily reflect the official position of the Foundation for Government Accountability and are not intended to advocate for or against the passage of any legislation or ballot initiative or to support or oppose any candidate for elected office. 